Thanks for joining our YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, please click that subscribe button to join our community. That way you get notified each and every week a message pops up. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. Hey, what's up, risers? How you doing? It is group sign-up time. Join a group today. Get yourself signed up before they fill up. A lot of them do fill up, so make sure that you sign up ASAP. Hey, if you're new to our church, my name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor. We're going to continue to experience God together today. Just want to celebrate this. I love all you guys watching online. You guys are very special to us. And last Sunday, uh, we have this a lot, but last Sunday for Easter, there was one whole family that has been watching us online for a year. Since the time that quarantine started in March of last year, they've been watching us online and Easter Sunday was their first time with us. Isn't that awesome? I love it. I love it. I love that that becomes the front door of the church, so to speak. And so welcome to everybody online. And this also brings up the importance of sharing. Um, uh, YouTube and Facebook and different articles like places like that. Uh, Make sure that you share our live feeds because you never know who's watching them and who who, uh, hears them. I was uh, just hearing from a person the other day who's not a believer uh, whatsoever that was listening to a message that was was probably about three or four weeks ago uh, and, and telling somebody else about the message that they were watching. And I was like, but they, they listen to a short thing. They, they're like, no, they listen to the whole thing. They were telling me all about it. That's a beautiful thing that happens through our online experience. Amen. Hey, our discipline of the month for this month is worship. If you were here for first Wednesday, uh, you know about that. Uh, I just want to quickly mention that when we worship as a discipline, that means worship doesn't have to do with our emotions. Oftentimes, whether we worship or not has to do with how we feel in the moment. That's our human tendency. Worship is all about love, and love is not built on whether I feel like I love you or not. Love is built on taking care of the other person. And when it comes to the Lord, it is worship because of who he is, not how we feel. In fact, if you worship the Lord because of who he is, it'll change how you feel. Oftentimes, we want to reverse that. We want to feel good, and then we'll worship. We want God to bless us, then we'll worship. But if you worship, then God blesses you, then you usually feel better. And uh, so let's make sure that we keep the right foundation. We worship because of who he is, not because of what he's done for us, not because of how we feel, not because of fleeting emotions. We worship because of who he is. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so last week we started Not Today, Satan. Uh, It's my one chance to preach with a demon, not including the one that sits on your shoulder and tries to get you to go to Denny's after church and makes you think about work on Monday while I'm talking, he's talking in your ear. You know that one, not including that one, but the one that you can hear out loud. Uh, And it's been a blast last week and it's going to carry on for this entire month. And so last week was the orientation class to the university. This week we have Temptation 101. And where would it start? What's the first place that a tempter would want to tempt you because you are human, I think this next one is going to be very high on the list, at least statistically, for virtually every person in this room. So turn your attention to the screens, and let's watch Temptation 101. Welcome back. Welcome back to your first and official day at the unnerving university for terrible temptations, tricks, and traps. I hope you all had murderous nightmares as you slept last night. Today, we begin with the appealing art of allurement and temptation. Today, I want to share one of I'm going to share one. Yes? Yes, whatever it is. 
Uh, I forgot what I was going to ask. There's a demon of distraction in every class. And while distraction holds some promise, that's not today's lesson. No. Today I'm going to be sharing one of my favorite temptations. It's an easy temptation, one that any of you puny imps should be able to perform. Is it murder? Ooh. Is it mass murder? Oh. Maybe it's genocide. <laughs> no, no, no! You fools! Remember last week? The best road to hell is the slow and steady course. You don't start by tempting your human with murder. No. You start with the easier, much smaller temptations. And today, we'll begin with the easiest of them all. It's a temptation that already lies so deep in the heart of your human and has already been approved of by culture. I'm talking about the temptation to unleash their illicit sexual desires. So, how do we begin destroying this temptation? Well, the inroads for this lie have already been paved by the sexual revolution, of which, of course, I had a masterful part of. Wait, you were part of the sexual revolution? <laughs> what did the hippies taste like? A little stringy for my taste, but there was a plethora of them, so their abundance made up for their boniness. But back to the topic at hand. Mm -hmm. The many electronic devices that are connected to the wonderfully wicked World Wide Web make it so easy to use sexual temptation to destroy your humans with. So first, start by making your humans curious. Human curiosity is a great tool that we use in many areas of our work. Make them wonder if they are somehow missing out sexually. Then simply remind them that no harm ever came out of porn, and that within porn, their curiosities can go to such devilish extremes. Oh, oh, so basically, encourage them to remove their restraints and let their curiosity go wild? Mm. Yes. yes, and make sure they know that they're missing out if they somehow hinder their curiosities. <laughs> the fear of missing out is such a devilish delight. So we take the brakes off of their inhibitions, let their eyes and minds go wild, and then before they know it, they'll be sexually curious about their co-workers and neighbors. <laughs> and if not their co-workers, then make them curious about strip clubs. Tempt them with sexual rendezvous and be careful to remind them to keep their sexual deviations private. <laughs> we all know that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> yes, this trap lives in the shadows until it grows large enough to come out and destroy them. This enticement may take time to cultivate, but planting the seed in your human's heart will surely lead to broken hearts, Broken lives, broken homes, and most importantly, a broken relationship with their creator. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I sense there are some ready to be tempted. Maybe back there by the sound booth. No, no. Center row, third back. No, I sense some over here. First row, club dress. <laughs> oh, great Abaddon. I've been studying this congregation intently. That one over there has fleshly desires that are so weak on his own. And look, he has friends already helping Ah, we've been discussing you. You've been trying so very hard to defer your primal temptations. But we both know you can't win. Lust is in your nature. Oh yeah, and don't forget our core value. We value death. Because when you're not growing, you're dying. <laughs> now go. Go feast on your humans. Let their minds be filled with curious sexual thoughts. Fill their minds with temptations. <laughs> Somebody say, not today, Satan. Not today. <laughs> Our enemy is insidious. Insidious has, has a lot of definitions for insidious. The one that I would mention is the third one that says, proceeding in an inconspicuous or seemingless harmless way, but actually with great grave effect. Insidious, meaning sneaking in, looking like everything's all good and innocent and sweet and nice, but before you know it, it's enslaving you and that enticement became your trap. <laughs> it's insidious. It reminds me of Homer's Odyssey. In Homer's Odyssey, you had the, the sirens. Remember the sirens from school when you had to read about it? The sirens were these songbirds. It was these, these women that would sing. They were half women, half bird, and they would sing from the shore to sailors, and the sailors would be lured in by their songs. And as they came in, they would crash on the rocks. And in Homer's own words, he said, first you will come to the sirens who enchant all who come near them. If anyone unwarily draws too close and hears the singing of the sirens, his wife and children will never welcome them home again, for they will sit in green fields and warble him to death with the sweetness of their song. There is a great heap of dead men's bones lying all around with the flesh still riding off of them. Come on, y'all. Oh my gosh, I love the sirens, of all the gorgeous Greek gods and their beastly books, I've always felt a profound connection to the sirens. Sometimes I use them in my classes at the university to demonstrate the power of seduction. They inspire me to be a better tempter for you humans. The sirens are where Mary, many people believe that the mermaid legends come from. These beautiful women that would attract men and then drown them and kill them and destroy them. And it sounds so appetizing. It sounds so interesting. And you hear the call of the siren and you end up following it only to find it comes to your own demise. What, what is the siren of our modern times? In our world, what is the extent to such a degree that this power controls us and woos us in? It lures us in and causes incredible destruction. What is this siren that would be insidious, that seems rather, rather innocent, but once you step into it can be absolutely destructive? I would say it's the siren of pornography. Pornography. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I don't think I realized until I started researching how much of a significant issue this is. In fact, they say it this way sometimes, that fish are the last ones to realize that there's water. You and I are now swimming 
in a world of pornography. And if we're not careful, we're the last ones to realize it because it's so ingrained into our culture that we don't even notice it anymore. Let me just give you a few statistics. Back in 1998, there was only 14 million pornography pages. You can see where that has gone up and up and up until 2018 when this was reported last. There's 2.3 billion porn web pages and growing rapidly all around us. In fact, one popular porn site had 91 and a half billion views on their site last year. Let me give that perspective. That means that one site alone, just one site, had 12 and a half views viewed for every human, man, woman, and child on the planet. We're swimming in this world and we may not even realize how big of a deal it is. The pornography generates industry generates about $15 billion a year. That's more than the National Football League, Major League Baseball, and the National Basketball Association combined. That's the world that we live in. And COVID, because of what's happening with COVID and so many more people spending so much more time online than they even did before, it's expected to grow at a rate of 15% over the next year. There tends to be a disconnect between parents and children when we talk about pornography because most parents think, oh, my kids are not into this. They haven't seen anything. Everything's fine. Where if you talk to the kids, you find a whole different story. In fact, 90% of 8 to 16-year-olds have viewed pornography. And the average age of a person, a child being exposed to pornography is 11 years old, with some statistics actually showing it's 8 years old. Well, what can I say? I like to start them early. The earlier I can get to them, the easier it is to manipulate them later on. So parents, please. Provide your child with all the devices with unlimited access to the wonderfully wicked World Wide Web without supervision, without parental control. For hell's sake, trust your child. I promise I'll take good care of them. Come on, somebody, because that is exactly what the enemy is doing to our world right now. Just trust them. Everything's fine. It's not that they're the problem. Listen, the problem is the internet stalkers. It's the people that are trying to chase your child down. The predators that are trying to expose things to your child like Abaddon because they want to control them from the time they're young. In fact, they say this, this should scare parents to death right now. And I hope it does. They say that, that statistically children almost always find pornography on the internet when they're doing their homework first. What's happening in our world right now where kids are online more than they've ever been, doing more homework than they've ever done, it is a sexual predator's playground to find them and expose things to them. <laughs> they want to get your kid acclimated young. This was shocking to me that one in three porn viewers are women. I grew up with an understanding that this was mostly a men's issue. No, it's one in three right now are women. And what's truly sad is that especially with the young women, they say statistically that they look at pornography to see how they can please the boyfriend that they have and how to meet his expectations. And, and with young women, they are far more likely to actually act out the things they see online than the young men are. I hope these make you sick to your stomach. Porn literally rewires our brain. It literally changes the, the plasticity of our brain. One research study showed that you have less gray matter the more pornography you watch. It literally rewires our brain. It makes us look at everything different. So now the generation that's coming up, statistically, according to a 2016 Barna study, teens and young adults view not recycling as more immoral than looking at pornography. By quite a bit. 
They said that it was 88% said that, that stealing was wrong. 56% said that uh, not recycling was wrong. And 32% said that viewing pornography was wrong. Let that sink in. So nowadays when you talk to young adults and teenagers, between 89 and 95% of them say that when they talk about pornography, it's in an accepting or normal way. It's not something that is a bad thing anymore. And so it's literally changing our brains Scientists say that it's like a drug addiction, the same way a drug addiction will literally change your brain and become the stronghold in your life that pornography is doing the exact same thing, except we simply embraced it as a society. Pornography has all kinds of problems associated with it. It, used the, it, 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 it increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. One of the many problems with pornography is like any other thing that's a drug, your first high is not high enough. And so to get off, you end up going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And what starts out as simply looking at magazines turns into videos, turns into from watching sex tapes and sex things to looking at bestiality or homosexual things, or one thing doesn't entice you enough. So you have to keep going deeper and deeper. And what happens at the end of the day is that you actually end up enjoying sex less than you ever did because you're getting your fix online. Sorry if this is too heavy for some of you, but this is the world that we're living in. We are rewiring our brains to think like animals instead of thinking like humans. At the exact same time that we have the Me Too movement, and a whole group is saying that we need to treat women with respect, a lot of the same group is saying, no, pornography is normal and acceptable, which pornography teaches men to not treat women with respect and to treat them as animal. it's animals. It's a wild thing. And I just want to say, this is not okay. And the statistics in the church typically match the statistics outside of the church <laughs> well, for pornography use. Obviously, of course they do. It is so easy to tempt you people with porn. All I really have to do is get you laughing and then you'll accept anything. Sitcoms are the best way to desensitize you people. Sugar may make the medicine go down, but humor makes porn palatable to even the most scrupulous souls. <laughs> it's like Homer's Odyssey. These sirens woo you in with an enticement, but before you know it, it is controlling your life, and that's all you can think about, and your brain has been warped into looking at women as only a sex object, or men, I guess. I'm looking at it from a man's perspective. Statistically, they say that individuals who never view sexually explicit material report much higher relationship quality and lower rates of infidelity than those who do. It's interesting, isn't it? Porn is an insidious lie. It offers sexual freedom and cheap thrills with no consequences, but gives a warped mind and sexual enslavement instead. And unfortunately, most of the time, churches don't even seem to realize this is an issue, so churches don't even talk about it. We're going to talk about it, as you've noticed. You can pull your toes in and feel uncomfortable, but it matters. We live in this world that, that is saturated because sex sells. So we live in this fish tank of pornography everywhere we go. Just think about the fact that 75 years ago, the very images that boys would sneak around behind the school and try to look at are now plastered 12 feet tall outside of Victoria's Secret a couple miles from here in the mall. That used to be considered pornography and boys would sneak around to see girls in their underwear. Now you walk right past the food court and you see giant ones. Come on. So we live in what is, in my opinion, the most sexually explicit culture in the history of the world. I know there's been other cultures where, port, where, port, uh, where, where prostitution and things like that were more accepted than it is here in the United States. But there has never been a culture where you can pull out your phone 24 hours a day, seven days a week at any moment and have any thrill you want to have. 
We live in this culture. And so we swim in this polluted fish tank, this polluted water of pornography, and it's polluting our brains and contaminating our thinking. And it goes from high to high. And so you end up going deeper and deeper and deeper at the same time that those who are chaste or those who live virtuous or those who live holy lives are being made fun of at a rate that we've never seen before either. Think of the 40-year-old virgin, right? The idea that you would stay a virgin is nerdy and dumb and silly. And now we're living in the effects of all these ideas that, that rape and abuse go together with porn users. Let me be very clear. All porn users don't rape and abuse people. But all people who rape and abuse people are porn users. There is a very strong connection there you cannot ignore. So we fight against human trafficking so big in our society. Why is that? It's my belief that it's the same people that are oftentimes using pornography that sometimes are fighting against it because they have an inner guilt because the same people they're trying to liberate are the same people that they're watching online. It's a wild little thing that's happening in our society today. And when women get hurt or or when pornography runs rampant like this, it's the women who get hurt. It's the women more than the men who end up getting treated like an object. It's the women more than the men who oftentimes end up being the ones who get pregnant with a father that they barely know who's running around being a deadbeat dad and the woman gets responsibility to take care. Why? Because we're seeing all the effects. (laughs) Okay, this is ridiculous. Porn is about female liberation, female empowerment. Your sexuality has been suppressed for far too long. It's time you just had a good time. Relax, grab a beer, come watch a sitcom with me. (laughs) Corinth was probably the most prominent city in the New Testament world. Uh, Paul had planted a church there, and in the middle of this church that he had planted, this temple of Aphrodite was on top of a mountain, and it was the centerpiece of Corinth. Now, if you don't know anything about this, Aphrodite was the goddess of sex, the goddess of love, and there were at least a thousand temple prostitutes, priestesses, if you want to use that word very loosely, priestesses, temple prostitutes that worked at the temple where they would service people over and over all day. Because when they worshipped at that temple, it was not lighting candles or singing songs or having communion. When they worshipped at that temple, it was having sex with a prostitute, (laughs) Because there's a connection there between sex and worship we'll come back to later. And it's in the midst of this environment that Paul plants a church and this small minority in Corinth who's trying to live right amongst this culture that is so saturated with sexual deviance and lust. And, and we see that here. And so Paul writes a letter to them in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. He writes these letters to them encouraging them uh, about how to handle this lustful environment. Now we're going to read... Uh, chapter 6, verse 12, all the way to chapter 7, verse 5. Uh, but just remember, when the Bible was written, there was no chapter and verse. That's just there so you and I can look it up faster. So we're just reading straight through it, but we're going to read backward. We're actually going to start with chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, and then go to chapter 6, just for the sake of making the point more clear, okay? Are you with me? Yep. Y'all are quiet this morning. I know we talk about porn. Nobody can say amen. I mean, it's a stronghold. Amen! Yeah, and your wife's like, uh-huh, mm, uh-huh. Just saying says this, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man to have sexual relations with a woman. I just want to pause there for a second 
Because some of you grew up in, in youth groups and in such in church where sex was always bad. Sex is bad. Sex is bad. Sex is bad. Sex is bad. And you heard that so long that you forget the Bible actually tells you that sex is good and you should have sex. Amen. I'm thankful for one amen. Verse 2, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. Hello. <laughs> and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to the husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Do not deprive each other except, are, are y'all hearing this? Amen. All the men in the room, this is the first message you've ever actually paid attention to. <laughs> you've been coming to our church for six years. You couldn't remember a single quote from anything. Right now you're nudging your wife. You, you, you take that scripture down. You write that down. Did you, did you get that? You get this. So what is that? Second Corinthians 7, 5? That's what that is? Okay. Some of you haven't memorized a Bible verse in your life. You just memorized that one. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right, number one, if you're taking notes, make love in your marriage. You got to see this. Sex is good. God designed sex. It's beautiful, but it's meant to be inside of marriage. Just like you may have a fireplace in your house and the fire inside the fireplace warms the house. But if you have the fireplace in your living room, it'll destroy the house. Sex is meant in the right place. And it's a beautiful thing outside of that right place. It can cause incredible destruction. This is ridiculous. Okay. Ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. He's trying to take all the fun out of life. Okay. The occasional fling is fun. Besides, nobody needs to know. What you need is adrenaline-pumping, wild, passionate sex with any cute human that turns you on. You know, you guys should do that. Take a road trip, enjoy yourself. Go to my favorite, my favorite playground, Las Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Except for the STDs you bring home and the emotional baggage that comes home with you. Some of it might stay in Vegas, but some of it comes home with you in your luggage and you didn't know it. Lifelong covenant relationship between a man and woman is God's plan and, and it has the highest rated sex in all the statistics. If you want great sex, and I'm just being real, can we be real in church? Get married and keep it in your wedding bed. (laughs) That's where it happens at. The stuff that's portrayed on movies and marriage and all these flings is absolutely not accurate. It might be intense for a moment, but it causes destruction later on. And God's plan for sex is not only the best and highest rated sex, it also is a way of protecting women because when you're having sex inside your marriage, now the husband has a responsibility to take care of that baby that sometimes gets created and take care of that woman. Are y'all with me? All right, let's, let's, let's keep, keep going. I just want to say God isn't silent on the subject of sex. We just don't always want to hear what he has to say. Let that sink in. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 18 through 20 says, flee from sexual immorality, right? These people have sexual immorality all around them. They're Corinthians. 
All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Number two, flee from fornication. Oh, my Lucifer. <laughs> okay, first of all, fornication is furious fun, okay? That prom night special, that business trip, one night stand. Live your life to the fullest. That's what I say. Mm. I say flee because that's what the Bible says. Then you're not taking home baggage with you. He said flee from sexual immorality. All of the other sins are outside the body, but flee from sexual immorality. It is a big deal. So when you are enticed, it's like Joseph. You run. And where do you run? You run the other way, not towards it, away from it. Somebody's like, I run. That's the problem. Yeah, run away from it, not towards it. So when you are enticed by something, you turn, if it's this way, and run this way. There's a word for that. It's called repentance. That's right. It means to turn the other direction. You repent from what is tempting you this way. Turn the other way. You run to God. Right. Run to him because you will not defeat this by yourself. Right. I don't care how much you try, your willpower, you will not defeat it by yourself. Run to God. And then secondly, run to accountability in your fellow man. Run to somebody who can talk with you and be your brother or sister through this journey and hold you accountable. And also, you need to, you, you need to confess to God. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And confess to the other person what you've done and make them hold you accountable. Holding you accountable doesn't mean, oh, man, I'm sorry you failed again. Yeah, you probably really shouldn't do it. No, holding you accountable means, hey, bro, let me have your phone. Let me have your tablet. Let me have whatever it is in your life. Holding you accountable means you might need to install some software that doesn't allow you to be tempted and take those steps that direction. Holding you accountable doesn't mean somebody just pats you on the back and says, oh, I'm sorry you're dealing with this. It means they're holding your feet to the fire. Are you all with me? Yeah. Verse 13 through 17 says, you say... Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Both body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Come on. Uh, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the member of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Love the exclamation point. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Number three, if you're taking notes, sex is spiritual. I know that your world will never tell you that. I know that it's just a physical act, but you are more than an animal. I live in the country. I have driven down the road and see cows and other animals doing their thing. You are not an animal. You are different. And sexual relations is a spiritual thing. And you know what? You actually know this in our society, even if people don't want to admit it. Just ask the question, why is rape a big deal if it's just physical? Why is rape a big, bigger deal than punching somebody in the face? Because it's spiritual. And people recognize that there's a spiritual element to it. Did you know this? The number one day for viewing pornography in America is Sundays. Why? Because it's spiritual. There's an act of worship just like with the Corinthians that's going on. And this is what Paul is saying. He's going all the way back to Genesis 2. And he says the two become one. There was two 
And now they are one. And this is not just a physical phenomenon. This is a spiritual phenomenon that sex is meant to bind two souls together. It's meant to put, this is why it's so powerful in marriage because the two got married and they became one. And then spiritually their souls get bound together and they cannot be separated from that point on. And that's what Paul is referencing back to. This is what intimacy is. It's when the two become one. So, so, so think of it this way. Sex is sticky. If you got tape, it's red tape, you see the red side. If you got tape and you stick it on something, stick it on somebody, and you pull it off, and you stick it on somebody else, and you pull it off, and you stick it on somebody else, and you pull it off, pretty soon it loses its stickiness. Or you could say it this way, it's not nearly as sticky as it used to be. We live in a world right now where people are having sex with Lots of people before they ever choose to get married. We're not even getting married until we're in our 30s now. So we, we stuck with this person, stuck with this person, stuck with this person, and then wonder why when we get married there's no stickiness left. Wow. Okay, okay, okay. For this part, I guess I can agree with your pitiful pastor. Sex is spiritual. Maybe that's why I like porn so much. When you think you're privately viewing porn for your pleasure, you're really just sharing an intimacy with me that pleasures me beyond measure. So the next time you think you're alone, you're not. You're pleasuring me. You're praising me, and I love it. So sex is spiritual. That's the best part of our dirty little secret. Sex is spiritual. And don't make any mistake to think that it's not. And we are abusing what God has created to be a beautiful thing. Let's go to verse number 12. If we were reading straight through in a normal sense, this would have been the first verse. He said, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. See, Paul begins with this phrase that's probably a common phrase in Corinth. I can do whatever I want. It's like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Everything is permissible for me. I'm in Corinth for crying out loud. Excuse me, you're trying to take people's freedom away, okay? Isn't this supposed to be the country of freedom and whatnot and stuff like that? I mean, really, you're free to do whatever you like. I worked so hard on the sexual revolution and you're gonna throw it, a, throw it all away from mundane, monogamous marriages. What a waste. What a waste. So, so, so what Paul is saying is, yes, you are free, but you're not free to run back into bondage. And sexual deviation ends up leading you into bondage. It ends up leading you into slavery. You are not free so that you can run back into slavery. He said this, this silly thing one time that when you just read it, you're like, what is this? That's just weird. It is for freedom that you've been set free. Come on, y'all. It is for freedom that you've been set free. What? That's a dumb thing to say. Of course it's for freedom. Yeah, but it's only for freedom if, yeah, like, you got to understand, you don't run back into slavery. That's not why God has set you free. And so while they're enjoying this freedom that God has given them, they have to recognize that they're not going to be controlled by anything. And pornography wants to control you. It wants to tell you what to think, tell you how to act. It wants to reshape your mind. And there is little else in life that will master you like pornography and sexual addiction will master you. There's a reason that, that people refer to it like a drug. Nothing in life will do it like that. So less freedom oftentimes gives greater purpose and meaning. Okay, you know what? I'm leaving. I've had enough. You should leave. <laughs> okay, but 
But if any of you would like to visit me later on tonight, and I know who you are, we can have a nice time together with those exciting videos and wicked images. You'll know where to find me. Mm. <laughs> or tomorrow, or Tuesday. Come on, y'all. Yep. Rights aren't always relevant. This is that third, that fourth point. It doesn't matter what your rights. I know you live in a freedom in doctrinated, loving of freedom, America, but sometimes if you want meaning and purpose, you actually lose a level of freedom. Yeah. So what are you talking about? When I got married to my wife and I started having a family specifically, I created more meaning and purpose in my life at the same time I had less freedom. That's right. I can't do whatever I want to with my money, and I also can't do anything I want to with my body sexually. All of a sudden, it belongs to her, and she belongs to me. And I lost freedom, but I gained meaning and purpose. Yeah. Right. And meaning and purpose is greater than freedom. And I know we live in a country that worships freedom, but sometimes we need a little less freedom and having a little bit more purpose and meaning in our life. Let me close with this story. C.S. Lewis wrote a great book called uh, The Great Divorce. Uh, maybe, have anybody read The Great Divorce? There, there's a scene in The Great Divorce. It's a, a, a big scene that has this man that has this lizard that lives on his shoulder. It's, it's never described as a lizard, but it's described like a lizard. And it lives on his shoulder and it whispers to him and it talks to him and ends up kind of controlling him. And this man is on his way to heaven trying to get to heaven and he comes in contact with an angel. And the angel says, would you like me to get rid of that lizard? The lizard starts immediately whispering to him. You should know that the lizard represents lust. It represents sexual deviation. And the lizard starts talking to him and said, no, you don't want to get rid of me. I don't bother anybody. I don't hurt anything. And so this debate starts going on between the man and the lizard. Sounds a lot like the debate that goes on in some of our heads between us and porn. And the debate goes on between the man and the lizard. And the lizard said, I'm just your pet. I don't bother anybody. Nobody has to know. And, and, and I, can, I can just be docile. And I can just be kept into secret and nobody even knows I'm here. But the problem is that it's keeping you from the grand things that God has. And so this angel standing before him as the lizard and the man have this argument over, do I submit this thing to God or not? And it's so key because the angel looks at him and says, and says, do you want me to kill the lizard? And it's up to the man to say yes. It's up to him to submit this thing to God, or in this case in the story, an angel, to submit it over to God for God to be able to destroy it. Until you submit it to God, it's not going to be destroyed. It'll keep coming back. You might pull it out, but, but the root's still there, so it grows back. And so there's this, this bait that goes on, and finally the man gets to this place that he says, all right, I've had enough, and you're right. I, I want to carry on with God. And... He gives permission for the angel to kill the lizard. And when he does, the angel grabs the lizard off of his shoulder, throws it on the ground and kills it. And immediately, the lizard transforms into a stallion. And in a way C.S. Lewis can only do, the man then jumps on the stallion and rides it off. I love this quote that's here from the book. What is a lizard compared with a stallion? Lust is a poor, weak, whimpering, whispering thing compared to with that richness and energy of desire which will arise when lust has been killed. <laughs> That's deep. When you kill your lust, you find out that God has actually given you a stallion 
that's far more beautiful, far greater than what the world has to offer. And we say no to lizard lust. Come on. Because God has given us a stallion. Stand up with me if you would. <clears throat> Pastor Joshua will close us out in just a second. And if you want special prayer or to receive communion, you can do that in just a second. But would you bow your heads with me before we wrap up? Some of you in this room, room you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And even in this most unusual of messages, the Holy Spirit's been dealing with you and speaking to you. And this morning is a moment to come back to Christ or to come to him for the first time and submit yourself to him. Submit your lizard, so to speak, to him, to lay yourself down at his feet and say, God, I'll follow you. I won't belabor the moment, but if that's you in the room and you say, Pastor, I need to give my life to Christ, would you just stick your hand up and wave it at me so I can pray with you around the room? Pray with me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you. And from this day forward, I surrender my life completely to you. Make me new in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Come on. Amen. Listen, if you just gave your life to Christ, make sure you text Jesus to 21777. We would love to be able to start a journey with you and we'll text you some good devotional things as well as in a moment, come forward and and, uh, have somebody pray with you if you can, or at least share it with the people that you came with this morning. Look at your neighbor and say, no more lizard lust. Put your hands together for Pastor Joshua as he wraps us up. Thank you for watching this message today. We ask that you hit the subscribe button and share this message on all social platforms. Man, we are hoping that you were encouraged and blessed by what you heard. And we cannot wait to see you next time.